Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good, good, good. Good to see you. Good to see some new friends uh, here today. Uh, glad that you joined us. I, uh, I'm excited. Um, yikes. Um, hmm. Hold on a second. This is embarrassing. Um, my sermon notes aren't here. I think they're back in the office. So will you be patient? I'll, I'll go fast, I promise. I'll just give me a second. Never have I ever done this before. Got him. I am that fast. So question, what, what did you think when I left? Did, did, did you believe that I was gonna come back? Yes. You believed I was coming back, right? You, you, so because you believed I was gonna come back, you were willing to, to wait for me, right? But I didn't, wanna, I didn't wanna test this, but here's the question. How long would I have had to have been gone for you to become just a little bit uncomfortable, a little squeamish, a little antsy, dare I say a little impatient, maybe even a little frustrated, perhaps even if I waited long enough, a little angry. I mean, after all, time is a ticking, right? So this morning, if you haven't figured it out yet, we are going to talk about waiting, Right? So you believed that I was going to come back, so you had no problem waiting. But this morning, when it comes to waiting, it's not such an easy thing to think about. It's not such an easy topic because we all have had experience with waiting, some good, some bad. When we think about a good kind of waiting, a good kind of waiting might be, you know, as a kid, waiting until Christmas morning to open your presents. That's a, that's a good kind of waiting. If, you know, if you're here and it, it's very real in this room even, uh, waiting for your child to be born, right? There's a good kind of waiting, anticipation and excitement. That's a good kind of waiting, right? Hopeful ac- expectation of something good that's gonna happen at the end of the waiting period. We've, we've experienced good waiting, but we've also, on the flip side, experienced bad waiting. At the DMV, right? In traffic in the city. I guess it doesn't have to be in a city. I guess in Western Pennsylvania, it's just construction waiting, right? Um, long lines at Walmart, right? So, so when we think about just that, that term, waiting, there's different kinds of waiting. There's good waiting, there's bad waiting, there's, there's long waiting, right? If you've ever tried to, to lose weight and you've committed yourself to a, a weight loss program, the weight, <laughs> waiting for your weight to drop is a waiting prospect or weighty prospect, something, <laughs> Right? I mean, think about it, though, as, as humans, we, we struggle with, with, with waiting. We don't like to wait for our popcorn to pop. When we press microwave, popcorn, boom, and we stand there and we stare at it. We don't like to wait. But we also know this, that, that you know, sometimes waiting is absolutely worth it. How many, of you ever, how many of you could tell a story about waiting being worth it at the end of the day? Anybody? anybody I mean, if you racked your brain, you could. I, and here's my story about waiting being worth it. This is not, this is my story, it's not your story, and it doesn't need to be anybody's story, but this is my story. When I started dating Pam, little did I know, and some of you know where I'm going with this story, because you've heard this story before. Little did I know when I started dating Pam that Pam had made a promise to God when she was in high school. You know what that promise was? Some of you know it. It wasn't, it was not to kiss her husband until her wedding day. 
And when I found out about that, I was like, oh, okay. Hmm. See, I didn't make that same promise. <laughs> so I wasn't sure how this was going to work out. But as Pam and I dated and fell in love, hi, Pam, talking about you. As we dated and fell in love and, and we started moving toward, toward marriage and, you know, knowing that, you know, the wait would have to wait until that day, um, I chose to wait. Chose to wait. And so on our wedding day, uh, June 27th, 1992, when, when her dad, after the longest, the longest wedding ceremony in history, <laughs> finally said, Trent you may kiss your wife. And I kissed her. My first thought was, it was worth the wait. It was worth the wait, right? And that's not to say that had she, you know, not, I'm just saying, it was worth the wait, right? Um, even, though, even though waiting is a normal human experience, it isn't easy, right? But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, um, Learning to wait can often be a measuring stick of where we're at in our faith journey. It can be a measuring stick for our, our maturity as followers of Jesus. We, we've all heard pastors, preachers, maybe other mentors in your life talk about waiting on God. It's something that we've been taught and told that we must learn to do. We have to wait on God. But it's hard at times. And, and, and why is that? And, and this week, as I, as I was thinking about the passage that we're going to be looking at, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open to, to, to Genesis 15, which is where we're going to be in just a minute. But here's some of the reasons why I think, I think we struggle with this idea of waiting. Um, I think one of the reasons why we struggle with waiting is because waiting can often feel like unanswered prayer. It just feels like unanswered prayer. You have a circumstance, you have a situation in your life where, where you know I have to learn to wait on God, but I continue to pray about it, but that thing that I'm waiting for hasn't been answered, and so waiting on God can and often does simply feel like unanswered prayer. And when you go through seasons of time in your life where, where you feel like your prayers aren't being answered, a, a next logical step that we often come to, another conclusion we come to is that God is distant or God doesn't care. And again, I'm not saying that's the right conclusion, but it's a human conclusion. It's a, a natural conclusion. It's an easy conclusion in seasons of waiting. It feels like unanswered prayer, and all of a sudden we begin to think God is distant or God doesn't care. Another, another thing that, that came, to, came to mind this week, and, and some of this was I got a text message uh, from, from a, a friend in the community, and they were just sharing a little bit of their struggle with, with the season of life that they're in, and they made this statement that they feel like everywhere they look that the wicked are prospering, right? And so, and I thought about that, that person's circumstances, and I thought, they're waiting for God to show up in somebody else's circumstance to bring justice to bring, you know, kind of um, righteousness into another person's situation. And because God hasn't done that thing that they think maybe God ought to do, that, that we conclude, well, the wicked are going to prosper. That happens sometime in, in our waiting season. But, but then I think one of the things that, another thing that, that I think we have to be careful about in these waiting seasons is, is our, our level of hope begins to wane. Listen, Christianity, our faith is nothing if we can't hold on to hope in our life. And, and the proverb writer says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so in our seasons of waiting, what, what can happen to us if we're not careful is we can begin to lose hope. We can let that, that thing that is so much central to, to what it means to follow Jesus, that we have this certainty, we have this surety given to us because of Christ. If we're not careful in those seasons of waiting, that hope can wane. Last week we were introduced 
to the story of Abram, who would become Abraham. And last week we were in Genesis 12. If you haven't been with us or you're new today, um, we're doing a series to start this year on uh, the book of Genesis, just about a 10-week series through some of the high points in the book of Genesis. And last week we were introduced to Abram, who would become Abraham. And uh, God called him from his land to just follow him, to just trust him, to, to take, it, take God by the hand, as it were, and just follow him into uncertainty, into the unknown. And God had made Abram a promise, a promise to make his name great, to multiply his seed, to, to, to make it so that all of the families on planet Earth would be blessed through him, that his descendants would be like the, the stars in the sky and like the sand in the sea. And when we left last week, Abraham left. He took God by the hand and he simply left. Trusting an uncertain future to what he believed at the time was a certain God. As we get into our text today, we need to remember this. That the promise that God made to to Abraham in Genesis 12 didn't take place immediately. There, There was a waiting period. Instead, many years would go by. And Abram, Abraham, I'm just going to just say Abraham, because I don't want to keep going back and forth. Same person. We'll see that actually today. <clears throat> many years would go by, and Abraham would still not have any children. So if you've got a Bible, open to Genesis 15. And we're going to read this first five verses in Genesis 15. And just know this. That even though God had told Abraham that, God, that he was going to bless him with children, so many that he couldn't count, it hasn't happened yet. So between 12 and chapters 12 and chapter 15, some interesting things, interesting things happen. We won't get into them uh, for the sake of time in this series. Uh, but the next moment in time that we want to pick up the story is, is in Genesis 15, verses one through five. And I'm gonna read it. It'll be up on the screen. If you need a Bible, please stop and grab one on your way out. Okay? It says, after these things, what things? Read uh, 13 and 14 on your own. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. In this vision, God said, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Just, just again, we won't spend time on this. Eleazar would have been kind of the lead servant in Abram's house, and according to laws in that day, if Abram died and he didn't have any kids, Eleazar would have gotten everything. All right? He would have been the inheritor of everything that Abram has. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him again. He said, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So Genesis 15, God appears to Abram Abraham in a vision, and he basically repeats something that he's already told Abraham. And let me just stop right there and just say that's good news for me and you. Why? Because we need to be reminded of the promises of God often. Why? Because we often forget the promises of God. And God was not offended. God was not angry in that moment. He simply said, Abraham needs me to remind him of what is true. And God does that. God takes the initiative in the story and says to Abraham, listen, what I told you a few years ago still holds true today. You simply have to trust me. And why did God do this? We can't know for certain, but if we're honest and we put ourselves in Abraham's Abraham's shoes, it might be about this time in Abraham's journey after hearing the promise and being forced to wait for the promise that he's starting to get a little antsy. He's starting to get a little nervous. Maybe he's starting to get a little bit frustrated. Maybe he's letting some doubt creep in. 
But I can just imagine that some of the things that Abraham wrestled with in the waiting period are the same things that you and I wrestle with when we're asked by God to wait for something that doesn't come our way immediately. We begin to wrestle and question in our mind, well, what if, what if I didn't hear correctly? What if I didn't really hear God speaking when I thought it was him? Well, what, if, what if God changed his mind? What, what, if, what if I've messed something up? What, 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 if, what if I screwed this whole situation up? You know, we don't know Abraham's tone as he responds to God, but it sure feels like when you read it, that Abraham's getting a little impatient. And maybe he's laying a little bit of blame on God, which again is something that we have the tendency to do when that wait lasts longer than we think that it ought to wait. No matter what it is that we're waiting on God to do, whether it's to, to move in our spouse's heart, whether it's to open the door for a new job, whether it's to, to answer prayer about our healing or our, our, own, our own health, whether it's just kind of being in a relationship with somebody you know, in general that, we, that we, want, we, we want a relationship and it's just not happening for us. And if we're not careful in our humanity, it's easy to question ourselves and then to begin to question God. You know, we, we don't know his tone, but, but this may be a moment in Abram's life, Abraham's life that is a sign of immaturity or it actually might be a sign of unbelief. It might be a sign of unbelief. You haven't done this yet, God, and I'm starting to think that maybe you won't do it at all. I, I, I mentioned this earlier, but I want you to write it down. Waiting... Waiting is a litmus test of our maturity as believers. I believe that. It's a, it's a litmus test. It, it, it's, it's one of those things that if you're trying to discern where you're at in your faith journey, ask yourself, how do I do in the waiting seasons? How, how do I do with them? It's not natural waiting it's a learned behavior. I mean, ask any parent. They, they didn't have to teach their toddlers to not wait. They had to teach them to wait. We have to continue as parents teaching our kids what it means, what it, what it, what it, what it looks like to wait patiently for the things that they want. Abraham and Sarah, his wife, had to learn to wait on God. And so after bringing Abraham out of the tent and, and saying, okay, look at the stars. Reminding Abraham of the promise that he had made that his descendants would be as numerous as those stars that he sees in the night sky. Something then happens. And if this were a movie, this is where I can imagine the, the music would begin to crescendo as Abraham looks at the stars in the sky and he hears once again the, the promise of God uh, being recast to him and recommunicated to him. I, I can just imagine the, the music just kind of hitting that crescendo because the next verse, let's look what it says. Genesis 15, 6. It says, and he, Abraham, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. He counted it to him as righteousness. This moment, Abraham once again says, I'm going to put my foot in the ground. And he believed the promise of God. Most uh, theologians would say that this was his conversion moment. He believed, he trusted the promise, the word of God. And, and, and Genesis 15, 6 says that God counted it to him as righteousness. That in that moment, Abraham was changed. He was converted because he believed. He trusted in the word of God, in the promise of God. Again, at this point in the story, if you've never read the story, you might be tempted to think, now Sarah's going to get pregnant. God was just waiting 
for Abraham to truly believe. He was just waiting for Abraham to, 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 to truly get it. Now, since Abraham gets it, he's put his faith, trust in God completely. Now Sarah's going to get pregnant, right? I mean, that would be natural. But if that's your conclusion, um, you would be wrong. She doesn't get pregnant now. As a matter of fact, if you read it, and we're not going to read the whole story, it's still in many more years would pass. Many more years would pass, and Sarah is still not pregnant. She's still not pregnant. And again, we can't read into the text things that aren't there, but just to apply your humanity and put yourself into Abraham and Sarah's shoes for those years in between. Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. And between Genesis 15 and then what's still ahead in the story. And it's only natural that there would have been, in their humanity, moments of doubt, maybe moments of blame. And and again, uh, in those days, um, uh, science had not advanced to the point that it is uh, where it is now. In those days, if a woman couldn't get pregnant it was, always, it was always her fault. Always. Never the guy's fault. Never, it had nothing to do with the guy. It was always her fault. So, so we don't know if, if, if Abraham struggled with that, thinking and somehow it was her fault that she's not pregnant. Blame, and maybe on Sarah's end, she maybe would have thought the same thing. This is my fault. And maybe she would have felt shame that she couldn't provide for her husband a son, an heir. Again, doubts, confusion, all of those things, right? It would just be natural. And some of you are here today and you know this story, right? Some of you are here today and you don't know the story. You don't know where this story is going. And so if that's where you're at today, you might be logically wondering, well, what are they gonna do? Are Abraham and Sarah going to wait on God or will they do something else? And if you know the story and you're sitting next to somebody that might not know the story, don't whisper in their ear the rest of the story. It's coming. Henry Nguyen, an author and theologian, said that we wait wait on God with a sense of promise. I like this quote from him. I think it's up on the screen. People who wait have received a promise that allows them to wait. They have received something that is, that is at work in them like a seed that has started to grow. Waiting is never a movement from nothing to something. Waiting is always a movement from something to something. So in your waiting seasons of life, what is that something that you need to hold on to? What is that something that you need to remember so that you can get to the something that is still yet to come. It's from his book, The The Spirituality of Waiting. Again, what it boils down to, a couple of things that it boils down to me in this this story, when I think about waiting, is is one of the reasons why waiting is such a difficult thing for us um, is this. Write this down. Waiting requires us to surrender our expectations and control to God. It requires that we surrender our expectations and control to God. And some of you think that I just cursed because I said surrender, control. And you're like, oh, that's, you've just done gone too far, Pastor Trent. I don't want to surrender. I don't want to give up control. No, nobody likes to do that. I mean, we don't want to be completely surrendered to anything, including God. We often treat our surrender to God like we we treat hot sauce on our chicken wings at a Super Bowl party, right? Just a little dab. Not too much, right? I just want a little bit. A little bit of hot is okay, right? And we're like, what are you talking about, man? Just pour it on. Jacob's like, pour it on. Well, for me. I'm sensitive. I'm a sensitive palate. Just a little bit. I don't want a lot of that hot sauce. Just a little bit. But we do that with God. Like, God, I'll, I'll give you a little bit. 
I'll surrender just a little bit of me to you, but I'm not going to be poured out for you. I'm not going to just be completely, uh, you know, expended in my surrender to you because I don't know what would happen if I did that. We're, we, are, we are afraid of losing control. Back to the story. If you don't know what happens next, well, it is some story. And I hope there's some of you that are here today that don't know what's coming. All right? How many of you don't know what's coming in the story? All right, okay. The rest of you, some of you are like, I'm not raising my hand. I don't want to say that. That's okay. That's okay. Isaiah's being honest. He's like, I don't know what's, I don't know that Isaiah should hear the story, but anyway, he's here, so we can only hear it. So what comes next in the story? Well, if you know the story, you know this. It's the stuff out of reality TV and tabloids, and you read it, and it's like, what in the world? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, let me read it to you. Genesis 16. After all of these years of waiting, the question is, what are Abraham and Sarah going to do? Genesis 16.1 says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. We know that. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Full stop. Tabloids. Reality TV. Right? Some of you are like, no, that just sounds like my neighborhood. <laughs> it's true. That's Sarah's plan. She, she decides God needs my help. I, I need to help God out. God hasn't come through for us yet, so it's time for me to take matters into my own hands, and I have an idea. I will allow my husband to sleep with my servant. Maybe that's God's plan. Maybe that was what God wanted all along. Here, Abraham, she's yours. And then look what happens. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. When has helping God out ever worked out for anybody? God, let me just help you out here. Again, you, 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 you read that right. Abram agrees with Sarah to have children through her Egyptian servant, Hagar. And how old are they at this point in time? At the age of 86. 86 is how old Abraham is. 11 years after God called Abraham and made the promises of Genesis 12, he takes matters into his own hands, and we won't read the whole story, but he has a son. He has a son. Just like God promised, he has a son. But it's not through Sarah. It's not through his wife. Sarah's servant, Hagar, bears a son named Ishmael. See, if you're taking notes, write this down. In seasons of waiting, in seasons of waiting, we are often tempted to act out of fear and impatience. What if God doesn't come through? I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I, I, I'm afraid I've missed something, so now I've got to jump in and, and do something about what I think maybe I missed all along. And we act out of fear, or it's just flat-out impatience. And when we're impatient, we will do things to help fulfill the promise. And when we do that, what we're actually doing is we're assuming the role of God in our own life. I mean, I don't think Abraham and Sarah would have thought about it in those terms, but that's what they were doing. They were playing God. You say, well, I would never play God in my own life. And yet, I think if we're all being honest, there are times that we do play God. We take matters into our own hands, trying to nudge the plan of God along with our spouse, with our kids, 
I just need to help God out here. We assume the role of God in our lives instead of maintaining a posture of patience and surrender. The Apostle Paul had something to say about that as he wrote to the church in Galatia. Uh, as he's talking about this incident, this moment, he said of, uh, of Abraham, Galatians 4.23, I think it's on the screen here, but the son of the slave, this is Ishmael, was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through, prom- through the promise. And again, without unpacking all of that, what, what he's simply doing is he's contrasting the, 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 the two sons of Abraham. He says one was born because he, he, he decided to trust in and yield to and act according to his flesh instead of trusting and waiting on the promises of God. And we do the same thing. Again, we've said this, but if you haven't written it, written it down, go ahead and write it down. Waiting on God requires patience. At the end of the day, it just does. Most of us struggle with it. The idea of waiting, even for a few seconds, never mind years, is nearly impossible. See my opening illustration. When I walked away for just a few seconds, and some of you were fidgety, right? It's just not easy to do. Well, let's turn over to Genesis 17. This is 13 years now after Abraham and Sarah sought to produce their heir through Hagar. God appears to Abraham again. Look at what happens. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Again, we don't know all the circumstances or the reasons why, but God appears to Abram again and reassures, he recommunicates, he recasts the vision to Abraham and he makes, once again, this covenant, this promise with him. I just can't help but see me in this. In spite of my failures, not the same kind Abraham and and Sarah had, but in spite of my, my doubt, in spite of my impatience, in spite of the times in, in my life where I, I want to help God out and push the plan along, that God still shows up and said, let me just remind you of the promise. Let me just remind you of what is true. Let me remind you of who I am. And sometimes I need that. And sometimes you need that. And, and the good news is God is always ready to say, let me, let me, just, let me just point you to me. Let me just get you thinking about me and, and, and get, the, get the focus off of your circumstances and, and get you thinking about me and what I'm obligating myself to. And let's continue reading. It said, Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall, you, shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be, shall be Abraham. Again, he cha- this is his name change from Abram to Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Again, do you see the patience of God? Do you see the kindness and the mercy of God and the gentleness of God walking into Abraham's life and saying, look, I just want you to keep trusting me. Jump down to verse 15. Again, and God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall shall be her name. Her name has changed. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Again, he repeats those promises. And he brings Sarah into the loop. And what happens? Abraham, once again, however you want to interpret it, Abraham shows his humanity. Because verse 17 says this, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? 
again, it seems, it, it appears that even after all of the reassurances from God, that Abraham is still letting some doubt creep in. He's letting some, you know, are you sure? I, I, I don't know that I completely believe what you've said. And again, I look at this and, and we can be upset with, with Abraham. But I see me in this. And I hope you see you in this. Because waiting is tough. Waiting is tough. But here's the good news for us. And if I were to preach this message in a sentence, here's my sentence that I want you to understand as you leave this morning. It's simply this. Even when we become impatient or even laugh at the promise of God, he remains faithful to do what he says he will do. So some questions this morning is this. Where are you becoming impatient? Where are you becoming impatient? Listen, if God has promised something, your impatience will not derail that promise. God will see it through. God will. Henry Nguyen in that same book said this, that the word patience means the willingness to stay where we are and live in the situation out to the full in the belief that something hidden there will manifest itself to us. The waiting will produce fruit. It will bring something to pass. One last thing. Waiting is a journey. It's a journey of trust. A journey of trust. And in the story of Abraham and Sarah, again, I, I hope I've conveyed this, we shouldn't underestimate how hard it was for them at times to trust God. And that's a good reminder to us. And, and that's this, that faith is not automatic. Faith is not automatic, nor is it a single event. It must be cultivated and grown over time. Again, in spite of the, the, these moments in Abraham's life, he's still referred to as the father of our faith. He's still listed in Hebrews 11, the, the, the great faith chapter. So, so from God's perspective, even though there were bumps in the road for Abraham, he saw Abraham as a man of faith. That's good news for me. And hopefully that's good news for you. Again, we can think of it in these terms that trusting God and putting our confidence in him, this idea of faith, is an up and down journey. It's a, it's, there's highs and lows. There's peaks and there's valleys. Our journey in our walk with Christ is not up and to the right all the time. It's not a straight line up and to the right. I'm growing, I'm growing, I'm growing, I'm growing. Our faith journey is a little of this, and then a little of this, and then a little of this, and maybe a little of this, and then a little of this, and 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 then a little of this, and a little of this. That's our faith journey. Brianna's like, okay, Dad, we get it. Overkill much, Dad? I saw that look in her eyes. Maybe. But we got to illustrate that. That's our faith journey. It's just not this way. And that's okay. As long as we keep journeying, as long as we keep trusting, as long as we keep taking steps. And when we do have those seasons of plateau and those, those moments of doubt, th those days where we're like, I'm just really struggling, that we don't just push away from the table and walk away from our faith altogether. We keep leaning in. That's why community is so important. That's why being in a discipleship group or a life group or just being around other believers is so important because when we struggle, we have others that can encourage us, that can keep us pointed on our heaven, toward our Heavenly Father, trusting that He will, helping us learn to trust that He will see, see us through when it comes to all the promises that He makes to us. In the story, nearly 25 years 
have now passed from the time that God first called Abraham to step out in faith and trust his promise. Again, at this point in time, Abraham and Sarah were still waiting on God. Abraham and Sarah's faith wasn't perfect. They made mistakes just like us along the way. There are moments in their story when they respond in fear and doubt. But they were ultimately, in Hebrews 11, verse 8. Do we have that? By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out into a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Then verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. They're commended for their faith. Ultimately, even though in the middle of their story, there was struggle. So, as we wait on God to fulfill his promise in our lives, it all starts with giving up control. It all starts with surrendering to him. And that's where some of us might be stuck today. The reason why you struggle so much with waiting is because you have yet to surrender control to God. That's the starting point. The worship team is going to come. And as they come, I want to ask three questions. Where are you struggling to wait on God? Where are you struggling to wait on God? The follow-up is, what promises do you need to cling to this week? What promises do you need to cling to this week? I think we have one more slide. I may have, may have thought I had one. There we go. And then what can, what will, what should you do while you're waiting on God? I think those are three questions worth wrestling with this week. And as a matter of fact, don't wait till this week. How about wrestling with it now? Wrestle with these questions right now. Our time that we reserve, and I'll say reserve because these moments are, are reserved They're reserved for you to wrestle with what God's word and his spirit has said to you, what he has taught you. Not not me, but what ultimately we trust and, and want his spirit to be the teacher in our lives. But this is reserved for you to do just that, to wrestle with and then respond to what God is teaching you. And so as we sing today, I'm gonna ask you to do that, wrestle and respond. And that wrestling and then the response might be tapping a friend on the shoulder and say, hey, would you pray with me about something that I'm, that I'm struggling with when it comes to waiting on God? It could be coming, tapping me on the shoulder and saying, hey, would you pray with me about something? We'd be happy to pray with you. I've got to ask uh, Jacob to come down and Matt to come down, Pam will come down, Becca, if you'll come down. And, and if you just want somebody to pray with you about something else that you're struggling with, these moments are not just like bows at the end of the service that we have to, you know, wrap everything up nice and tidy with some singing. This is a time for you to allow God to move and respond to what he's saying to you without guilt, manipulation, but just trusting that God does his work in these moments, all right? You say, well, what ends up happening with Abraham and Sarah? What's the rest of the story? You left us, you left us on a little cliffhanger like an old episode of Batman. Here's what I tell you. Come back next week. And you'll hear the rest of the story. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for this day. And thank you for this opportunity to, again, wrestle with truth. And then now, God, to respond to it. Uh, So, God, would you you have your way in, in all of our lives in these moments? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, and, and however God's asking you to respond, let's respond.
God has, in a very simple but very powerful way, begun to move in that college campus. And I think the word revival is a word that maybe gets thrown out a little bit too quickly. But if you're ever tuned in online and, and, and kind of even search Asbury Revival, um, it's interesting to see what God's doing there. Bottom line is they had a normal Wednesday morning chapel service. And it hasn't stopped since Wednesday, round the clock. Uh, people, again, confessing sins, repenting, uh, trusting Christ for the first time, uh, inviting and longing for God to just move there in their school. And this happened once before at Asbury back in 1970, kind of as the Jesus movement was kind of just getting going. And again, I think ultimately time is the, the greatest test of moves of God. But one of the things that, that I've read, and, and, and again, I, it makes me hopeful that, that there's something that really truly is a move of God in Asbury, is that it's not been showy, there's not been bells and whistles, it's just been a simple belief that Christ is who he claims to be, that, that experiencing him changes us and inviting him to do just that to change us so that song that we're singing the song that we're in the middle of singing right now your presence is an open door we we long for you at, at that particular college that was their heart's cry for who knows how long they may have had faculty and staff and students just praying that simple god we want you to move we want you more than anything to move in us maybe for years and again i'm not this is not me going okay we need that we need that to come here right now look god moves in in unique ways at different times but here's what i know it starts with us individually saying god i want you more than anything else i I long for just you your presence I, i i long for your will i long just to know you more than more than anything else that I want in life, I want to know you. And I think that's just a good place for us to start as we end our gathering today, is be reminded that God still does move in powerful ways in, in lives and in communities of faith. And we pray that, that maybe this would be the spark, spark of something that happens and sweeps college campuses all around America and takes America. And this is a, a, a new, fresh wave of, of revival in our nation. I don't know. I just I, there, There's been enough that's happened over the last several days. I'm not a quick, like, point to the headlines guy, but there was something that, that just resonated with me over the last few days that I wanted to at least mention it today. When I heard the worship team singing this song, I said, hey guys, if I interrupt you today, it's because I want to tell the story of what's going on in Asbury. And as we sing, let's pray for those students and let's pray for the leaders that are there that that they would stay focused on Christ because that's what they're trying to do. They're pointing people to him, to the cross, to the scriptures, to the truth. And and if we do that, if they do that, then God God can continue moving. And and again, in a simple way, that's all I want as a pastor. I just want to point you to Jesus because he is worthy of everything that we have. And so as we, you know, as we end our time together and continue singing, let's let's make that our prayer and let's sing like that's what we really truly want because I pray that it is what we truly want in our lives.
Have a great week. Side. 